<laughs> oh, this is so fabulous. Ain't nothing like getting together with family and having a good meal. Come and knock on our door. Come and knock on our door. We've been waiting for you. We've been waiting for you. Where the kisses are. Hers and hers and his. Please come for me too. Come and dance on our floor. Come and dance on our floor. Take a step that is new. Come and get it, y'all. Yeah, baby. Let's eat. Come on. That rebel turkey. <laughs> Everyone thank your mother for driving to the store and getting this. Thank you, Mama. Food and football. Eat all you want. Come on. Hustle, hustle. You got to get back over Going, there. Yeah. Don't take my spot. You rushing, SJ? SJ, sit down. No. <laughs> this is fantastic. Oh, y'all, I forgot the potato salad. How's Ole Miss doing? They're kicking butt. In the box. One wide receiver, left row miss, one corner, number 30 out. And press coverage, Sean, salad. Great, Mom. Yeah, Mama. Nice little surge, but not much running inside. Rebels got third and long here. Birdsong and Mawinney on the tackle. Almost five of ten on third downs from the 26. Third down and six for the Reds here. Come on, defense. Rain is slow. Let's see if they try a pass or not. Now Turner goes in motion out of the backfield. State showing blitz here. They come. Manning to throw. Runs to his right. Throws it at the feet of the... Hey! Whoa! But it's Thanksgiving. Wow. Why are we even here? Shh. Shall we say grace? Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the many blessings on this family. We thank you for bringing us a new friend. And we ask that you look after us on this holiday season, that we may never forget how very fortunate we are. Amen. Amen. Let's check the score. Up by 10. Collins, can you pass me the green beans, please? Don't pick it with your fingers. Just take, take a stoop. I'm Amy Coles, and it's great to be back with you this morning for worship. I want to say a special word of welcome to those who are worshiping with us online, those who are, on the, who are on their way to the Panthers game. We're glad that you have chosen to take time to worship with us as well. You know, I just love that scene from the blind side. Um, it's an incredible reminder to me about how oftentimes when we want to include somebody else, when we want to help someone else, when we want to invite someone else to that ultimate tailgate, what happens really is that we're transformed and we're changed and we're blessed. This morning we are in the third of a three-part series that, um, in which we're looking at some stories that Jesus told about a party, 
about a great banquet, about how when we're invited to a banquet, one of the things that we need to remember is to invite others, not thinking about how they can pay us back or what we'll get in return. Because we too have been included in this party that God, we can call God's kingdom. We've been included through no merits of our own. We also have talked last week about how if folks um, say they're coming to the party and, and choose to have excuses and decide not to, then we don't just stop there. But we go out and we find others to come and to be a part of the community of faith. Because we all want um, to be included. We all need to be included. This morning, what I want us to focus on is the party itself. What does it look like to be a part of of the the great banquet, the community of faith, the, the, the party that God has in store for us? And I want to focus on one verse that comes um, from the Gospels where Jesus was talking about this. And so um, as, as Jesus is telling the story about the party, one of the dinner guests says this. He says, happy are those who feast in God's kingdom. Happy are those, joyful are those, whole are those who feast as a part of the community of faith that we call the church. And I don't know about you, but after a week in which it seems like a a spotlight has been shown on our divisions as a nation, and where before and after that we've seen incredible acts of hatred and violence and just not treating others as human beings should treat one another. I think it's important to remember that we who are followers of Jesus are called to do it a different way. That we are called to include others, to support others, to love others, to value others, to live with unity in spite of our diversity. I was thinking about this when I watched the celebration after the Cubs won the World Series. And it was one of the largest celebrations we've ever seen in Chicago as a nation when the the players came and they had the parade through the streets of Chicago. And you know, I don't think folks were worried about whether the person on their left or on their right was red or blue. They were all celebrating, celebrating a great victory, celebrating the team's gifts and talents and what had happened as they came back from being down in the series. And so too it is with us. I I think what we're called to do is as those who are, are trying to follow Jesus to love as we've been loved by Jesus, that we too are, are called to focus on our unity rather than our diversity. And just perhaps, perhaps we can show the world, we can show this nation a different way. Three weeks ago, I I shared with you this core hope, this core conviction that I have, and and that is that in the end, God wins, that love wins. And I just have to tell you that I'm holding on to that tighter than ever, because I think if we will just show love, we can make this world a different place. So this morning, as we think about the party, the party to which we've invited, I want us to to think about it, um, and I want to share three different stories that kind of paint an overarching picture of what that party might look like in real and relevant ways. The first story is about a a young man, a 34-year-old man, Michael Saavedra, who died at the age of 34 as a street person. 
Since the age of 15, Michael had spent his life wandering out throughout America, suffering from paranoid schizophrenia. And so he slept outside, he slept in shelters. Sometimes he scraped up enough money that he could sleep in seedy hotels. He panhandled to get food. And he finally ended up in Greensboro. Bill Mangum, who is an artist in Greensboro, met Michael outside of a Hardee's when Michael was asking for him for a few dollars to get something to eat. Bill painted this picture of Michael in an honor card for Greensboro Urban Ministries. And I guess it'll come up at some moment. But, but one of the, there it is. And, and you see that Michael kind of in the background of that. Michael loved the snow. Michael um, probably would given, have given a gift of a snowman if he would have been able. But, but, but Bill took Michael to breakfast that morning at Hardy's. And then he took him to Greensboro Urban Ministries where he could find food and could find shelter. And as he dropped him off there, Bill Mangum gave him his business card and said, call me if you ever need me. Well, Michael did many times. A couple months later, Bill was out early, early in the morning doing some photographing and some sketching on South Elm Street in preparation for another picture that he was going to paint. And he heard a voice that kind of startled him, and it was Michael. And Michael said, Bill, what you doing up this time of morning? Well, by this time, Bill was a little bit worried that he'd given him his business card because Michael had been dropping his name all throughout Greensboro, saying he knew Bill Mangum when he needed some, something to eat or when he needed some money. One day, Bill walked into his Sunday school class at First Presbyterian Church, and there sat Michael. Bill said, how'd you get in here? And he said, well, I told the ushers that I was coming to meet you, and they brought me right here. Michael made First Presbyterian his home. He showed up all the time. In fact, he was known to even attend weddings to which he hadn't been invited. He'd come and sit down on the front row with the mother of the groom or the mother of the bride. And thankfully, the folks at First Presbyterian took him under their wing. Bill gave him art lessons. And here's a picture of Jesus that Michael painted one day. Folks from the Sunday school class visited Michael when he broke his leg, having been hit by a car. Others went to see him at our state mental hospital, Butner, when he was there for a time. He was included, and, and when he wore out his welcome at First Presbyterian, the folks at Grace Community Church, well, they took him in and cared for him as well. And yet, sadly, Michael was still haunted by his mental illness. The only way he could get sleep was to drink to the point of passing out. And one night he did that, and he never woke up. When Michael's parents heard that he had died, they rushed to Greensboro, thinking that they probably would be the only two people at his funeral. And imagine their surprise. Their surprise when they walked into the chapel at First Presbyterian. And it was filled to overflowing with Michael's friends. This is what his dad said. It was really overwhelming. Mike had been wandering for years. He could never find a place he felt comfortable with or people he could relate to until he came to Greensboro. Didn't solve his problem, but it sure made life a lot easier for him. Friends, Michael Saavedra 
had been welcomed to the party. The second story is about First United Methodist Church in Pahokee, Florida. Pahokee is a little town on the southeast shore of Lake Okeechobee. It's due west of West Palm Beach. Interestingly, a couple of miles from Pahokee, there's a village. It's named Miracle Village. It's the place where Florida exiles its sex offenders after they've served their prison sentence. There, in the middle of Miracle Village, there's a, a chapel. It's called Jacob's Destiny Chapel, where the folks, that 75 to 100 residents that are a part of Miracle Village worship on a regular basis. Robert Withrow was the pastor there. And in 2011, he decided that he was going to hold an interdenominational service, in which he would invite people from all over to come and worship at Jacob's Destiny Chapel. Patty Oberly, who was the new pastor at First Methodist in Pahokee, was invited. Now, she'd heard of Robert because as soon as she moved to town to be the pastor of that church, he'd given her his book called Modern Day Lepers. And she was all about building relationships, so she and her husband and their two daughters, ages 19 and 21, made their way down Muck Creek Road to the sex offender village. And as Patty began to worship in that chapel that was also filled to overflowing. She thought about the community. She thought about the church that she'd been sent to serve. Now, Pahokee at one time was a fisherman's village. And then they'd grown and they'd expanded as they shifted from fishing to the farming of sugarcane, particularly during the Cuba embargoes. It was a vibrant, thriving place. And yet, as, as what's happened throughout our nation, as mechanized agriculture takes the place of, of human labor, Pahokee began to contract. In 1995, the newspaper stopped publishing the paper. In 1998, the hospital closed. The, the mill closed in 2007. First Methodist didn't close, but it just kind of withered to the point that in 2011, at best, the pews were about a quarter full. So Patty did the unthinkable that day as she was worshiping there. She began to invite the residents of Miracle Village to come and worship with the folks at First Methodist. She started with a, a great singer, a talented young man who she knew would add a much needed male voice to their choir of sopranos. He came. A few weeks later, a couple of other people came. And can you imagine the reaction? of the folks at First Methodist. Now, Patty was not irresponsible in, in inviting these folks. She set some strict guidelines for anybody that came from Miracle Village to be a part of First Methodist. They could not be on campus if they were unsupervised. She knew exactly who the sex offenders were. She put the sheriff's office and their numbers in the speed dial in her cell phone 
And she met with each one of them separately to hear their story and to look them straight in the eye and say this, if you hurt anybody in my church, I'll be the first one to take you down. But even with those strict guidelines, the folks from Miracle Village felt apart, felt at home at First Methodist. And I'd be lying to say that the longtime members of First Methodist were very happy about that. They were scared. They were scared of the unknown. They were scared for the safety of their children. They were scared of what others might think in the community. Until there was that one day when that first singer that Patty had invited to come stood up and sang Amazing Grace. He sang these words, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me and others in the congregation began to sing along. Here's what a longtime member said. It was a miracle. It was a God thing. You could tell from the soul of their voice that they truly were changed people. I don't even know what their issues were, she said. I guess I believe if you kick a dog enough, it'll stay down, and we're not called to do that. It may sound crazy, but I felt like they were little kids and they were told, no, no, no. Well, we as a church had an opportunity to tell them what they could do. And at the end of the service, a couple of other people came up to, to some of the visitors and said, you know, you should come sing in our cantata. We've got practice at seven o'clock tonight. Sadly, I will share that one of their fears did come true. Patty reports that the church's all new embracing attitude was often sneered at in the community who would say from time to time, oh, send them to the Methodist church. They'll take anybody. They'll take anybody. Because all of God's children, all of God's children are welcome to the party. The third story I want to share with you is a story you, you might have heard before. It's a story about Tony Campolo, who is a, a pastor and a professor who speaks across our country. One day, Tony found himself in Hawaii wide awake at three o'clock in the morning. It was because of the time difference between Hawaii and his home in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He was there for a speaking engagement, but he woke up and he was hungry. And he couldn't go back to sleep, and so he decided to venture out of his hotel to, to find something to eat. He did at a place that, that truly earns the name Greasy Spoon down one of the side streets not far from his hotel. And so he went in, and he sat down at the counter, and the guy behind the counter came over and said, how can I help you? And Tony said, can I have a coffee and a donut? And so the guy behind the counter poured the coffee and reached on that glass tray with the glass lid and he wiped his hand on his apron first but grabbed the donut and tossed it on a plate and gave it to Tony. Well, he wanted to quickly eat and leave and get back to his hotel room but as he was munching on the donut and drinking his coffee in to the diner came a group of boisterous, I guess we could best describe them as women of the night. 
and they sat on either side of him and all around in the diner and they were loud and they were crude and Tony was really uncomfortable and wanted to get out of there and, and yet he couldn't make a quick getaway and, and then all of a sudden he heard the woman on his left hand side say, hey, tomorrow's my birthday. And her friend who was sitting on the right side of her said, well, so what do you want, to do, want me to do about that? You want me to throw you a party? You want me to, to sing happy birthday to you? You want me to get a cake? And Agnes, the person on his left, said, no, why do you have to be so mean? I, I was just telling you it was my birthday. I mean, I never had a birthday party. Why would, why would I start now? Well, Tony made a decision at that moment. And so he waited for the women to leave, and then he asked the guy behind the counter, his name was Harry. He said, Harry, do, do they come in here every night? Harry said, yeah. And he said, well, the one that was on my left-hand side, does she come in every night? And he said, yeah, why, why do you want to know? Tony explained that he'd overheard that tomorrow was Agnes's birthday. And he said, what if you and I throw a birthday party for her? I'll go get some decorations and we'll decorate and I'll get a cake. And, and at that point, Tony's wife, or um, Harry's wife had come in from the back. She was the cook and, and she thought it was a great idea. And so they made plans and, and Harry said, well, I'll do the cake. You get the decorations. And so at 2.30 the next morning, Tony was back in that diner. And they decorated it from one end to the other and and Harry's wife, well, he, she'd managed to get the word out because the diner was full of people that were up at that time of the morning. And they waited. Until at 3.30, Agnes and her friend walked in and, and they were ready and they shouted, happy birthday. And can you imagine the stunned look on Agnes's face? Her knees buckled. Her friend had to kind of steady her to, to take her over to the counter. And, and then the group began to sing happy birthday and her eyes moistened. And then when they brought out the cake, Agnes lost it totally and began to sob. And they finished singing happy birthday and, and Harry had to say, Agnes, blow out the candles. If you don't blow out the candles, I'm going to have to blow out the candles. And so she did. And then Harry gave her a knife and said, cut the cake, Agnes, cut the cake. And without looking up, staring at that beautiful cake, Agnes said, do you mind? Do you mind if we don't cut the cake for a while? Um, well, I mean, I just lived down the road. Could I even take the cake home? I, I've never had a cake. Harry said, sure. And Agnes looked at Tony and, and said, I'll be right back, I promise. I, I just want to take the cake home. And everybody sat there in stunned silence, kind of like a mannequin challenge. As Agnes carried that cake out, like it was the Holy Grail, the most precious thing she'd ever been given. And when the door closed behind her, they just sat there for a minute. And then Tony did the only thing he could think of. He said, what if we pray? And so they did. Tony prayed for Agnes. He prayed for her salvation. He prayed that her life would be transformed. He prayed that God would be good to her. And when he said, amen, Harry looked at Tony and said, with a kind of snarl in his voice, 
hey, you didn't tell me you were a preacher. I mean, what kind of church do you belong to? And in a moment when just the right words came, Tony said, I belong to a church that gives birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. And Harry said, ah, nah, there's no church like that. If there was a church like that, I'd want to belong to that church. Friends, that's exactly the kind of church that Jesus came to create. That's exactly the kind of party that Jesus wants us to throw. A place where all are welcomed and valued and loved. People like Michael Saavedra and the folks at Miracle Village and Harry and Agnes and you and me. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious God, we give you thanks for your incredible love. We give you thanks for the deep joy that comes as we gather together as a community of faith. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us to the party and help us to be those who would invite others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, friends, here's my challenge for you. We're in charge of the invitation list. So between now and a year from now, my challenge is to invite each one of you, invite 12 people to the party. Because friends, it won't be complete till every last person knows they're welcomed, knows they're loved, and has the opportunity to love others. Go, have a great week.